Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey, take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul of the YBs. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Take two. Welcome to that Davis show. And today we're joined by Kevin Allstriker. Follow him at K Allstriker as I asked him 34. Let me put the 34 on there. Wait, what's the 34 for, Kevin? You know, honestly, it was just a, I created my Twitter username and I can't remember 2012, 2013. I was young and I just wanted to put numbers on there. So it really does have no symbolic meaning or anything. They're just numbers. <laughs> All right. I didn't know if it was a player's uh, number because no, <laughs> I was thinking about prominent Baltimore Ravens that wore the number 34. Right. Well, now it'll be Tyson oh, Williams. <laughs> OK, OK. We, we, we haven't gotten the Tyson Williams heat out here in the Midwest just yet. Uh, <laughs> but listen, everybody, make sure you check out his work. He's the host and producer of uh, Locked on Ravens and also the managing editor of the Ravens Wire. So make sure you always check that out and follow him. We we like the Ravens around here. They're a gritty team, so we like them in the Midwest. And I've been following that team since they were the Browns. So that'll let you know how old I am. All right. But how are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk some football with you. Definitely, definitely. So listen, unfortunately, let's get into some of the injuries. All right. And and, and I, these these are the short injuries that we know right now we're dealing where if you place players on the IR, they can come back in three weeks. So when you're looking at because I think one of the things when you are talking about the Ravens a lot, one of the focus offensively is the wide receivers. Um, right. So you're looking at that 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 new rookie that you guys got in Minnesota, Rashad Bateman, and his groin and Miles Boykin and his hamstring. Um, what do you expect? Really, one from the injuries, but also from the offense when it comes to to to, to the passing game. Uh, Mar- Marquise Brown, um, I don't know if he's been used properly, and I, I mean this from the aspect of that type of receiver, not necessarily just what Harbaugh is doing with him, right. but just how you you know, like when you when they acquired when they drafted him, you would look at it as perhaps he's an X, where he seems more like that's probably not the best way to, or X or y, X or Y, but that or Z rather. That's probably not the best way to perhaps use him. Maybe he's a slot gadgety guy. But what do you t- what do you think about when you think about the receiving situation for the Ravens? Because for me, on the outside looking in, that's one place that I really feel like GM wise, you guys, the Costas kind of failed you all. Yeah, over the past couple of years, it's been it's been a tough journey, I think, especially for Lamar Jackson. He has not gotten the weapons around him that he's needed. I mean, you look at what Josh Allen got in Buffalo last year with Stephon Diggs and what Kyler Murray got in Arizona with DeAndre Hopkins. They didn't really make that move for Lamar Jackson. You know, There have been conversations about Allen Robinson and Julio Jones and Michael Thomas, but I think what the Ravens did was okay. And I think this year, there's no secret, the passing offense does have to be better. And this, that doesn't mean that the Ravens are going to all of a sudden throw the ball 50 times and they're going to be this air raid offense. But the run game feeds off the pass game and the pass game feeds off the run game in the NFL. So when you look at it that way, Marquise Brown, I agree, he wasn't being used in the right way. I don't think he definitely is more of a slot guy to me, but the Ravens did not have a bunch of outside receivers on their team last year. So they were using Marquise Brown outside and they were using Devin Duvernay outside. Some their true only outside guy was miles Boykin who hasn't been able to get on the same page as Lamar Jackson. So now that you can move Marquise Brown into the slot this season, I think is such a good thing for this team because now you do have Bateman, you have Sammy Watkins there as well, both who can shift around and play on the outside or on the inside. 
but it gives you that flexibility that you don't have to put Marquise Brown, who's a bit small stature, on the outside, and you can go do his work in the slot. Bateman, someone who I love coming out of this draft in 2021, I thought for the positional value, the need, he was the best guy for the Ravens at that 27 position. I, don't, I didn't think they were going to trade up for Jamar Chase or Devonta Smith or any of those guys, but Bateman is a smooth route runner, can beat you deep. He's not a burner, but he can beat you deep, and it's just an all-around, very well-rounded player. Watkins, I, there were rumors about Juju Smith-Schuster and T.Y. Hilton, but Watkins has already bought into Baltimore, and I think giving Lamar Jackson those weapons alongside Brown, alongside Mark Andrews, I think Gus Edwards is going to be better as a pass catcher out of the backfield. I'd expect good things, but the one caveat here for me is the Ravens receivers are going to have to gel with Lamar Jackson. You mentioned the injuries. Those guys have been out for a while. Bateman won't be available for the first three weeks, at least same thing with Boykin. So they're going to have to step up guys like Brown and Watkins. And even those guys are just now returning to practice. So it could take a couple weeks for everybody to get on the same page, but once they do, I think this offense is going to be so much better throwing the football. Look, you you kind of perturb you kind of peaked something in my mind. One, Allen Robinson was, is not going there. How dare you, sir? <laughs> uh, but no, no, I'm, I'm 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 a Lamar Jackson fan. But from the outside looking in, and you kind of talked about some look at what happened with, as far as Stefan Diggs, uh, even Emmanuel Sanders ending up in Buffalo. Um, is is there is a part of it due to the offense and the offense is successful, but due to the fact that you have a quarterback who is basically. 70% of the offense almost is it's a situation where some receivers, especially high profile receivers that that may not be the first place on their set destinations because they're looking to get high numbers one because it, it gets it gains them accolades, but also just in future contracts, it allows them to go out and validate their worth when they're negotiating with other teams. Is that part of the issue when it, when it comes to uh, attracting a top flight receivers to come and play in Baltimore? Yeah, I don't think it's out of the question at all. You know, there, there are different goals that different players have in this league, whether it's to win, to get personal statistics, get accolades, future Hall of Fame career. So if there's a player who sees the Baltimore offense and then they see uh, the Pittsburgh offense or the Kansas City offense and they say, well, I know I'm going to catch more balls in Pittsburgh or Kansas City than I am going to in Baltimore and still have a pretty good chance to win. I'm sure that might have happened once or twice. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster did say, that the Ravens offense, you know, he loves Lamar Jackson, but he alluded to the fact that it might be a bit run heavy for him. So I think it's certainly that. But John Harbaugh also made it a point in a press conference before free agency to say, look, we're not going to beg anybody to come to Baltimore. If they want to come and play in our offense, that's awesome. But if they don't, then I think he said something along the lines of we look forward to playing you. So it's, <laughs> it's stuff like that where the Ravens believe in their system. The Ravens kind of zigged while the rest of the league zagged and went in a completely different direction. The league is definitely more pass heavy now than I think it's ever been. And the Ravens are going back to that ground and pound offensive style. So it's about the guys who buy into the culture. And Sammy Watkins is one of those guys. He said that he already is so excited to play with Lamar Jackson. I don't think it's an indictment of Jackson as a player and how he's viewed around the league, but I think mm -hmm. it's more of the offense. And for the players who do want to catch more footballs and catch more touchdowns, I don't blame them for doing that, but Baltimore might not be their top choice. 
Listen, sticking with the injuries, and unfortunately, you had J.K. JK Dobbins go down. Um, especially, like, one of the things here in Chicago, whenever Justin Phillips plays, uh, one of the, the, the great things that takes place when you have a running quarterback or a quarterback that uses the run is it opens up the run game for other running backs because you, you can't necessarily just gear down and put eight in the box to stop that running back. You don't know what's going to happen with that quarterback. And when you look at the fact that J.K. Dobbins is looked at as being a top three natural runner in the NFL now, uh, to lose him for a team with championship aspirations, was there any blowback? And I know he only had 23 plays and he only had 10, uh, 10 actually touches in the preseason. Was there any blowback to John Harbaugh? And uh, how do you replace that production? You mentioned Gus Edwards as far as catching the ball. We know he's a bruiser and we know I know you have Tyson Williams and Justin Hill. But those guys, I mean, that seems like asking a lot. You know what I'm saying? So what do you do to replace J.K.? And was there any any type of uh, frustration with John Harbaugh having him out there during the preseason, even though it was a fluke injury? Right. There was definitely frustration. It was kind of the tale of two sides, though. It was, why do you have the starters playing in the preseason versus starters need game reps? And I don't have a problem with starters playing in the preseason. I think it's important for them to go out there and get some live game reps. And football is a game where injuries happen anywhere. You know, practice, preseason, regular season, playoffs. They can happen on any given play because that's just the nature of football. The Stobbins injury could have happened the first play of week one. It would have been the Mm -hmm. same thing. But the the way the three preseason game format versus the four preseason game format is pretty interesting because what we used to see was the third preseason game in that four preseason game format was the game where the starters played the most. They would get a quarter or a half. And then in the final game, which was that fourth one, the starters would not play whatsoever. So I think, in my opinion, the final preseason game is one where I wouldn't have had the starters in there. I understand that, you know, if you get them in the first and the second game, that's awesome. Ramp them up to the second then in the final one just kind of let them relax and rest up till week one. But different teams are going to approach it different ways. You can never tell when an injury is going to happen. And this was this isn't me seeing it in hindsight and saying, oh, well, they got injured. I don't think they should have done it. I was saying the whole previous week, look, I wouldn't have been shocked if they were to, to do it because their guys did not get a lot of practice time together because of all the injuries. So mm. now how do you replace J.K. Dobbins going down? Because that's now a reality this team does have to face. Gus Edwards now elevates to that lead back. He'll get a lot more of a workload. I don't think he's going to be a workhorse, like 100% of the carry type guy, because Tyson Williams is going to be able to take a lot of that workload away based off of what he saw or what he showed in the preseason. Justice Hill also has been dealing with an ankle injury and didn't really show a ton in the preseason, but with the Dobbins injury, it did open up the spot for him. So all in all, I think that the Ravens do have the guys to replace Dobbins, but you're going to miss the balance. You're going to miss the cutback ability. You're going to miss the vision, the speed. It's it's a brutal loss for the offense, but luckily the way the offense operates already, it doesn't truly rely on just one guy. So it's not like this injury is going to completely derail their Super Bowl chances, but it does definitely hurt. That David so with Kevin Ostriker, producer and lock of the Locked On uh, Ravens podcast and manager editor of Ravens Wire. Follow him at K Ostriker thirty four. Listen, speaking of departures, uh, you guys had a pretty big one, and I mean, I'm sure Kansas City enjoyed it. But you're looking at Orlando Brown Jr. being gone. I know Ronnie Staley Stanley is back, but thinking about that run game and now having a, a, a run greater in, in in Orlando Brown Jr. gone. Um, what? How do you think one protection for, for uh, uh, Lamar Jackson? but also just the running. How do you think you guys are going to kind of grade out with the loss of Orlando Brown Jr.? And I guess what additions, do you have enough additions to fill 
such a, a, um, a talented tackle. Yeah, I think the Ravens did do enough to replace Orlando Brown Jr., but this offensive line would no doubt be better with him. And it's unfortunate because this wasn't a, a situation where Brown was upset with the organization or didn't like his teammates and wanted out. He just wanted to fulfill his father's dream, Orlando Brown Sr., of him playing left tackle at the NFL level. That was a dream that his father had for him for the longest time. And there are stories out there that he told a lot of people, one of them being Orlando Brown Jr. Youth Football. His dad went up to his coach and told him, if my son is not playing left tackle, put him on defense. And, you know, that's just how much that meant to him. And the opportunity to play left tackle when Ronnie Stanley goes down with that injury, I think kind of pushed that forward for him because he showed that not only can he play right tackle at a high level, but he can do it on the left side as well. So the Ravens weren't going to give up their left tackle spot because Ronnie Stanley does occupy it. He's one of the best when he's healthy. But moving on there, Orlando Brown Jr.'s loss, you mentioned it, very, very good run blocker, can move out in space. He, he's gotten better at it. He's not the most athletically gifted guy, but he's huge. He's so tall and, you know, he's not going to, beat anybody with speed to the second level but he can definitely maul you and now with his loss the Ravens bring in Alejandro Villanueva from the Pittsburgh Steelers definitely a downgrade and Villanueva is also moving from left tackle to right tackle so he's been adjusting to that which is no easy adjustment for anybody Right. And he's gotten better. The first preseason game definitely struggled in the reps that he had, but he looked better in the second and third games. The Ravens also bring in guard Kevin Zeitler from the New York Giants, who has been as steady as anybody in this league. The Ravens were kind of still feeling their retirement of Marshall Yonda last year. That, that was a tough blow for them. He's a future Hall of Famer, one of the best in NFL history. So Zeitler should be able to come in and, and provide them a boost at right guard. They're moving Bradley Bozeman from left guard over to center. Bozeman played that during his college career at the University of Alabama was a good one there too. And the reason they're doing that is because they have not had very good center production in recent years. They've struggled with snaps. Matt Skura, Patrick McCarry in that Buffalo game, Lamar Jackson got concussed because of a bad snap from a center. So the Ravens are going in and just trying to find those upgrades. Left guard is a, a bit of a rotation right now. It should probably be Ben Powers, but factoring in the loss of Brown and what the Ravens brought in on the offensive side of the ball and the offensive line, this is a huge group. Each guy is just massive as a human being, and they're going to impose their role in the run game for sure. But where I expect there to be a little bit of, bit of an upgrade is in the pass protection. Lamar Jackson mm -hmm. in some games was running for his life, couldn't get anything, especially in the Buffalo game. A lot of people blame Jackson for that loss, but he just two seconds and it's, there were five people in the offensive backfield. So, with the strengths that the pass protection should offer this year and plus the run game, I think it'll be a better year for the offensive line. But again, it definitely would be better if Orlando Brown was in there with him. Kevin, let's focus on the guy under center while we're talking about the offensive line, and that's Lamar Jackson. Um, there's been a little slander coming out, uh, a couple of teams saying that, you know, they figured him out, quote unquote, which would be interesting to see this season. Um, what are the expectations? Because, I mean, clearly he's proven the doubters wrong. Um, but then you had the situations where incrementally he's getting better in the playoffs, but you, you don't have that necessarily splash. You hope perhaps this year will be the splash where all the naysayers can just go to hell, basically. Uh, but what are the thoughts as far as people saying that perhaps the league has figured Lamar out? Yeah, well, Lamar said himself he doubts it. You know, he was asked that exact question. He, the, the comments were brought up and he said, yeah, I doubt it. 
and I mean, I, I agree. Well, I think what people have figured out is that he's a, he's very, very hard to stop. Now, he can be stopped, but he's 30 and seven as a starter over the course of his NFL career. His first NFL season fully as a starter. He won the second ever unanimous MVP in NFL history. So a lot of people took that MVP season and I think saw his 2020 numbers and were like, he's he's regressed terribly. He's awful, which a lot of people can't multiply unanimous MVP seasons year after year after year. There's going to be some statistical regression, but he improved in efficiency on some areas. You saw good red zone efficiency. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the red zone in the entire NFL. He's good from the pocket. He's able to work off play action. So I think people are still feeding into the narratives, which are honestly kind of tired at this point because he deserves criticism for some of the things that he can't do well right now. You know, he's not just completely, you know, not he's not able winning to, from the pocket. Right. Exactly. It's totally, totally winning from the pocket. Not to say that he he doesn't make plays from the pocket. But if you if if the run was taken away, just taken away from him, which they can't, but you still get what I mean, that he still hasn't just progress from the point that he could just eviscerate you from the pocket, basically. Right. He's he's not he's not safe from all criticism for sure. And and mm-hmm. he does have room to grow as a passer. He's not the best passer the NFL has ever seen in their history. But I think the whole, all right, we're going to figure him out this year. I mean, we heard that last year and the Ravens struggled a bit to start the season off or not to start it immediately. They beat the Browns 38 to six, but they struggled to find their identity. Once they found their identity, it was off to the races. They won their final five games after that whole COVID thing where they pretty much had to put 20 players on the COVID list and play with a lot of backups. So after that, the Ravens found their identity. Lamar Jackson came back and that's what happened. But I do think that the notion of figuring him out, yes, you can stop him, but it's extremely hard to do so. And and he's shown time and time again that he's played at this next level. And we don't hear that stuff with guys like Josh Allen or guys like Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. You know, we hear it a bit. It's not not out there, but I think it's so magnified with Lamar Jackson that sometimes the criticism that he deserves becomes stuff that's undeserved because people are just feeding into narratives that frankly don't exist anymore. Yeah, since basically he was at Louisville, they're feeding into those those narratives. Listen, is there a fear, though? Because um, he's he's going to get his contract. That's not. There's no reason. I don't even want to debate whether he's going to get his contract. He'll <laughs> he'll get his contract. Right. But I, but I think the real question is the second contract. And what I mean by that, Kevin, is there a feeling that this window is shorter? All right, because I mean, like here in Chicago, uh, we're talking about Justin Fields for 15 years, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we, even though he's a running quarterback, there, there's 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 some trace that seems like he's he's running to throw rather than running just to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm, I'm I'm comparing that to to Lamar. Kind of, you look at what happened as far as Cam being released by released by New England. That you know they overused Cam with the what the Panthers did. And I, I used I, I used to be frustrated with how many design runs they had for Cam, especially as Cam had been in the league for like seven years. Right. Because you can have you know four design runs. Cam's gonna run another five times just yep. on broken plays. So you're gonna get to 10 runs in that quarterback. But when you design 10 runs and he's gonna get, get another seven runs, you're almost giving him 20 carries and consistently for a quarterback, that's an issue. Is there a fear with Lamar that this window is shorter if he doesn't learn how to totally dominate from the pocket? Or not say dominate, but when when things go wrong, he can definitely get it done from the pocket. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if there's been any voice concern about that yet. I, I know what people are saying is that his play style isn't sustainable. And most of that talk comes from, well, he's going to suffer an injury at some point, right? Well, mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson hasn't suffered a pure physical injury and missed a game because of a pure physical injury during his entire NFL career. He's had a couple small, tiny things that haven't forced him out of any games. And that's kind of the thing where people are saying, well, his play style isn't sustainable because he's going to suffer a major injury and his athleticism is going to go away. And it's those types of things. But in terms of how the Ravens use him and if he can sustain this stuff without completely dominating from the pocket, I mean, I think he can because he's still growing. He's only 24 years old right now. Mm and still has a long way to go. And I think he's learned from some of the past successes and failures of very successful mobile quarterbacks. You know, Robert Griffin III was his teammate for a couple of years in Baltimore, and, and he taught him a lot. He's talked to Michael Vick before. He can take some of the stuff that Cam Newton did and didn't do. And right now, his first year, his rookie season, when he was starting those games, he didn't do a wonderful job of protecting his body. He, he, was, he was diving for extra yards and kind of getting like two extra yards and taking a crushing hit. But he's now learned to slide, to get out of bounds, to protect his body, which a lot of people love to see because, you know, for two extra yards, taking a potentially big crushing hit that can leave you injured for months or, or even years is not worth it at all. So he's learned to do that in, I think, a very positive way. And is he's growing as a passer, getting into the stuff. And also, I know Greg Roman has taken a lot of heat for what he's done with the offense right now, the offensive coordinator for Baltimore. Mm-hmm. You know, former players, Des Bryant has been very vocal about how if the playbook is opened up for Lamar Jackson, he can dominate throwing the football. And so I expect that to happen a bit more this year because Greg Roman is certainly feeling some type of pressure. He is a very good run designer guy for an offensive coordinator. But passing, we've seen the drop off in his offenses each and every year where he has one great season with a great offense, whether that's in San Francisco or, or mm-hmm. Buffalo, where he was previously. And then the next couple of years, the offense just takes a nosedive. So he's feeling that pressure. I think the playbook's going to open up. They'll be more creative. They didn't really show a lot in the preseason because I don't think they should have, honestly. That's not the time to open your whole playbook up. But if Jackson can continue to improve and continue to protect his body, I think he has a place in this league for a long time. That Davis show host and producer of Locked On Ravens, Kevin Ostriker, is joining us right now. Uh, look, one uh, real on a side note, if if Greg Roman doesn't get it done this year, will John Harbaugh be looking for a new offensive coordinator before someone comes before Eric DaCosta comes knocking at his door? Or wait, does Ozzy get to still knock on doors because of what he did in the past? Okay, <laughs> Ozzy, joking, but... Ozzy's still there, but it's <laughs> it's definitely the DaCosta show in Baltimore now. And and look, if the Ravens get off to a bad start this year, I'm talking I don't know two and three, one and four, probably worst case there. I think there's a significant change that will happen, and that change is probably Roman because the Ravens have James Urban right now, who's their quarterback coach, waiting in the wings. I think he'd be a perfect fit for that offensive coordinator. Not I'm not saying Roman isn't, and he can't turn it around and everything that he's been doing, but there, there's something that would have to give in that situation because Baltimore's schedule over the back half is extremely difficult. They have five of their last seven opponents being division rivals, and the other two that aren't are the Green Bay Packers and Los Angeles Rams. So that that's a tough schedule. Early on, they play the Raiders and they play the Lions and the Broncos. So teams who can, you know, they're all football teams. They're all competitive, but those will be a bit easier than over the back half. So if the Ravens get off to a slow start then, 
they won't afford or they can't afford to drop any games later in the year. So that's why I think Roman could be feeling some pressure and some heat. And if the Ravens drop a couple games early that they should win or the offense struggles and, and the past concepts are still bland and the offense is still struggling a bit in that regard, I think the Ravens could definitely make a change pretty early in the season. And this is a team, I, I don't want people to forget that late in their Super Bowl year in 2012, 2013, they fired Cam Cameron in like December. And they replaced him with Jim Caldwell. They went on to win the Super Bowl. So they're not afraid of making changes midseason. And I think it's something that could be considered if the offense gets off to a slow start and the Ravens stop, start losing games early. Kevin, you, listen, I mentioned Ozzie Newsom, who is a legendary talent evaluator. And Eric DaCosta has been there for, what, like 10 or 15? He's had an opportunity to leave several times. Yep. I think even the Bears were, was interested in him like yes. a decade ago. Yep. Or before before Ryan Pace, perhaps, they got Ryan Pace. Or it may have been before even Ryan Pace. Uh, I forget who we had before Ryan Pace. Uh, um, it doesn't matter because he sucked. Uh, but listen, <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you this, though. Has you have you noticed any difference in drafting and pro personnel since Ozzy has taken a step back, or has it basically been status quo as far as the players they're bringing in from the pro from professional side and from the draft? Phil yeah, Emery yeah. too. It's Phil Emery was the GM. There it is. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny because you can definitely see some similarities between Nacosta and Newsom. Definitely stuff that kind of like rubbed off on Nacosta from Newsom and and er, er, Ozzy Newsom's a legendary, you know, one football player, two general manager. Yes. But with Nacosta, I think there's a bit more aggression, which isn't bad sometimes. It isn't good other times, right? Everything has the good and the bad attached to it. But what I mean by that is, again, Eric Acosta is not afraid to make changes midseason. I think the, the example I'll use is in 2019 during that MVP season, the Ravens dropped two games in a row. You know, they did not lose a game after week four when they dropped that 40 to 24. I think the final score was to Cleveland. There were guys struggling all over that defense. After that game, the, the Ravens get rid of Tim Williams, who was a promising third round pick a couple years ago. They bring in Josh Bynes and LJ Fort, two inside linebackers to help shore up that unit that was struggling. Week seven, they acquire Marcus Peters and a steal of a trade for a fifth round pick and linebacker Kenny Young. So they pretty much they didn't overhaul their defense, but they were using different pieces right in the thick of the middle of the season. It was still kind of early, but, you know, those are the types of things that Eric DeCosta is not afraid to do. They also brought in defensive tackle help help when injuries struck in week 12. And in the draft, I think we're seeing a lot more maneuvering up and down the board, which is something Ozzie Newsom did do. But he's not afraid to draft just like Ozzie Newsom wasn't for best player, as well as guys who they think are going to be fits on this team. Now, that works out. And it also doesn't. One of those ones that didn't. Ben Mason, the fifth round fullback out of Michigan. I was going to ask you about him. Right. He was coming. Yeah. A lot of people did not like that pick, myself included. And that does not mean Eric DeCosta is not a great general manager. But everybody makes mistakes sometimes. And that was definitely one of them. I thought Mason would be available as an undrafted guy. But you never know in the draft. You know, if a guy likes a team, if a team likes a guy and you don't have a pick after, which the Ravens didn't, they wanted to do that. But Mason was too similar to Patrick Ricard and look, the Ravens had to cut their losses. They wanted him back on the practice squad. It seemed. And Ben Mason said, no, thank you. I'm going to new England. And it kind of made a lot of people upset in Baltimore. I think, you know, to me, it's not, I mean, look, there's no obligation with organizations or with players, you know, the players are free to choose to do what they want. Same with right. the organizations. So for people saying, Oh, he shouldn't have left. He shouldn't have left. I mean, he had the right to do it if he wanted to. So those are the types of picks where sometimes it doesn't work out. But overall, I think DaCosta has been very good. The 2019 draft, a bit of question marks there between Boykin and Justice Hill and Jalen Ferguson. And the Ravens took Marquise Brown over guys like A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, who I had rated higher. 
But that doesn't mean Brown isn't a good player. It, it just means that not every team hits on every pick, which, I mean, happens all the time in the NFL. So between Ozzy, between Eric DaCosta, I think that the team has gone from great to great when looking at their general managers. I was giving the Ravens front office kudos. I uh, host of the Bears uh podcast for NBC Sports here in Chicago. And I was talking about the fact that when the Bears release the players, they end the backup on a practice squad. But for instance, like if Baltimore releases some somebody, it seems like Bill Belichick likes <laughs> from you, ben, ben Mason, you have Sean Wade. I know right. you guys traded him there. And also, and I'll get to this part too, of uh, just bringing in Matthew Judon, but I'll get to that in a second. But it, it, it's, it's, it must feel good that someone that is intelligent in football as Bill Belichick seems to have a liking to the type of talent as I was asking about Eric DaCosta a second ago he seems to have a liking or an affinity for the talent that you guys either release or at least comes to get the trade or take a player in as a free agent that has to feel good as far as the quality that you have in your front office Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's it doesn't even go to Belichick. I mean, for a long time, the New York Jets have been referred to as the New York Ravens. Yeah, they take Scott, every, yeah. every single player, you know, CJ Mosley and, and all these guys. So it, it, it does feel good to know that teams do value what the Ravens or who the Ravens bring in. For example, just this past day or a couple of days ago, the Ravens got rid of both Nigel Warrior, who's a defensive back, and Nate McCrary, who's a running back. Both guys, everybody wanted them on the practice squad and they both got claimed. There were a few who did make it through waivers, but I wouldn't be surprised if throughout the season we saw teams call up guys from the Ravens practice squad to their 53-man rosters who aren't protected because that's just the talent that they have. And I think it goes even further. You mentioned Sean Wade. The Ravens made three trades of guys who weren't going to make the roster. And Wade, Greg Manson, offensive lineman who went to Miami, and guard Ben Bredesen who went to the New York Giants. Eric Acosta was moving up in draft selection. It wasn't like he was just getting player for pick deals, but he was moving up. For example, Bredesen, they traded a guard who wasn't going to make their roster in the Chiefs fifth round pick for a Giants fourth round selection. So when you factor in, right, the Chiefs are probably going to finish in like the top two, three, four teams in the league and the Giants might be in the early to mid round picks. That's like a 40 spot upgrade. So it's, it's stuff like that where Eric DaCosta, it's little victories that amount to huge, huge benefits for them in the future. We're, we're still talking about the talent evaluation. I have to ask you about this before I get into the defense and then we go into the AFC North. I mean, uh, yeah, the AFC North. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, Tyler Huntley. Um, <laughs> what is what do you guys have with the, the, this young player from the Utes? Because, I mean, he's he's doing his damn thing out there. And I mean, of course. You know, you, you you want a redundancy as far as someone that plays like your starter. You don't want to have to start a whole new offense in case right. that Lamar gets hurt. But watching him run and pass was <laughs> like, man, you guys may have something. You may have something that you can use down the line. And I don't necessarily I mean, of course, if Lamar gets hurt, but also just uh, as, a, as a quiver, it's it, just to trade. You know what I'm saying? Like, so what 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 was the expectations bringing him in? And what 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 do people think about him after seeing in a small sample size of the preseason what he can do? Yeah, people love, love Tyler Huntley in Baltimore. Now, Baltimore is referred to as the Florida Ravens sometimes because they have so many guys who are from Florida. (laughs) Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown, Sammy Watkins, and Huntley's in that group too. Jackson and Huntley played against each other in high school and in youth football. So they were guys who knew each other for a very long time, and now they're, they're, they're friends. And so the fact that Huntley went undrafted, first of all, I think was 
unreal. I, I didn't think he was going to go undrafted. The Ravens pick him up. Maybe Jackson had some influence with that. I don't know. But if he did, that's great. Right. Was on the practice squad because I think that was really the only year the Ravens could do that because there was no preseason. There was no tape mm. for Huntley at the pro level. Whereas for McSorley, for Trace McSorley, who did not make this final roster but is on their practice squad, there was from the previous year's preseason. So I thought that one, Huntley was the absolute guy for this job coming into training camp. You know, McSorley is a good player, but I think Huntley just has the skills to run a Lamar Jackson-led offense better. And that's where we are now for the Ravens. Lamar Jackson has graduated from having a mentor backup where you kind of have a veteran in the room to help him grow and help him learn. He's now Jackson is now a little bit of a veteran himself. So now go out and find the guy who can run that offense the best out of everybody. And I think that that is Tyler Huntley. Now get him McSorley on the practice squad. I, I called it a steal. Maybe that's not the right word, but he's somebody who knows the offense. He's been there for a while. He's shown some success. He's not the best quarterback in NFL history, but he's someone who can definitely go out there and at least keep the Ravens competitive if Jackson and Huntley were to miss time. So I think overall what Huntley showed this preseason, he showed his capability, he showed throw power, he showed accuracy. He's he's a dual threat quarterback, much like his teammate and friend Lamar Jackson, which really helps them if Jackson has to miss a game here or there or gets injured. Hopefully he does not. We, you know, No injuries are wanted over here for any player. But if Jackson were to go down, I feel much more comfortable with the backup quarterback situation this year than I did last year because Robert Griffin III, you know, great football player, didn't really show a lot when he was on the field for them, unfortunately. So I think Huntley, now you have a player who can run that offense and run it well if Jackson were to go down and miss some time. Yeah, Robert Griffin III retired early. He just let everybody know this season, basically. Um, listen, uh, going back to the early Ravens teams when you, and I'm, I'm in Chicago. So some teams, when you mention their name, the thing that jumps out to you is defense, you know, and the Ravens yep. are one of those teams. They, they had one of the greatest defense ever in football uh, that their first Super Bowl. Um, I'm a fan of Matthew Judon. Um, what's your expectations for this defense with losing such a, 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 a great, a really good edge rusher? And Matthew Judon, are we going to see the old style Ravens defense or is this a more of a bend don't break and you're leaning more on the offense than perhaps you have in the past? I think the unit is always going to be somewhat of a bend, don't break unit. We've seen that over the past couple of seasons. And that doesn't mean that the Ravens defense can't force turnovers and can't force three and outs, but they will play off coverage a significant amount when they necessarily might not have to third and four on the midfield line. They're playing off coverage because they do not want to get beat deep. That is the last thing this defense wants, but they trust their defense enough that is now filled with stars and, and still is filled with stars. It wasn't like it wasn't, but those guys always go out there and make plays. Now, Judon is definitely a big loss. I didn't expect him or Ngakwe to return, Yannick Ngakwe to return just because the money wasn't there. The Ravens did not have a lot of money to work with. Those guys both got big money deals. So the writing was kind of on the wall there, but Judon is a, a do-it-all player. He can drop back into coverage, set the edge very well, is also a good pass rusher. The, the, the issue with Judon is inconsistency. There will be a game where he has like three or four sacks in a game and then disappear, disappear for like six weeks and then come back and do it again, then disappear for six weeks. So there's that. Also, a couple not so great penalties, just roughing the passers and stuff that he's sometimes subject to. But he's a great overall player. He loved Baltimore. You know, the Ravens loved him. It was just unfortunate that, you know, the Ra the Ravens couldn't make the money work and he deserved every penny of that deal. But now the edge rusher position was a huge concern. And that was because with Judon, with Ward, Jihad Ward and with Ngakwe gone, they lost a lot of their sack production. 
And that wasn't great because they didn't have a lot of proven options on their roster. They, they didn't go out there and acquire anybody in the early part of free agency. They drafted a very raw pass rusher in Adafi Owe in round one. Tyus Bowser, not a ton of production. He's kind of come on in recent years, but he's someone who wasn't that proven. Pernod McPhee is not going to be an every down player. So Justin Houston is the key here. Justin Houston mm-hmm is the key signing that I think is a needle mover. You know, I, I wasn't really fond of the idea of bringing in a guy like Olivier Vernon or someone who you're wasting a roster spot on and he's going to give you the same production as somebody else on your roster. But Houston is someone who has 97 and a half career sacks in 10 seasons. He has been proven for many years. People thought his career was over after he left Kansas City, ends mm-hmm. up getting 19 sacks in two years with the culture, around 19 within two years with the Colts. So he still has it. He still has stuff left in the tank. And I think that he's going to be so huge for this, this defense. They're a big blitzing team too. Don Martindale loves to blitz. They have the highest blitz percentage over the last two seasons. In the NFL, so that's also huge. I, I think that the defense will always be somewhat of a bend-don't-break unit, but when they get into that red zone, the opposing offenses, the defense tightens up, and in my opinion, if a drive can end in a kick, so if that's a field goal or a punt, I think that's a successful drive with the way the Ravens' offense operates because you know that offense is going out there and they're scoring points every week. Right, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, two more questions. The AFC North is pretty much the roughest division in football. Um, how, give me the fallout. How in, in Kevin's, in your perspective, how's the AFC North going to follow your preview? I guess for the AFC North. Yeah, so this is definitely one of the toughest divisions in the league, and I think it will be for a long time. You know, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, whatever the Steelers are going to do at quarterback, maybe maybe they'll figure it out, but. I think this year it's a two-team race between the Browns and the Ravens. I have both teams finishing at 13-4 and four with the Ravens winning on a conference tiebreaker. I think they're both going to be that good. And for me, the Browns and the Ravens both addressed their needs in the offseason. The Browns struggled in the secondary in 2020. They went out there. They got John Johnson. They got Troy Hill. They drafted Greg Newsome. So they did a lot of things on that. They're also getting Odo Beckham back, who I think is going to be rejuvenated So I think that those two teams will be the two big dogs in the AFC North. I also don't think either team wins both games against each other. I think it'll be a 1-1 split. Baltimore will probably win that home opener or home game for them. And then Cleveland will win two weeks later in week 14 in their home game. The the schedule kind of worked out a little bit weird for Baltimore. So the Browns and the Ravens, the Ravens have Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of like a divisional stretch there for them. It it goes into their tough back end schedule. The Browns, on the other hand, have Baltimore by Baltimore. So the Browns have a buy in between their two games with the Ravens, while the Ravens have to play the Steelers at Heinz Field. So, look, the, the Browns are a talented team. I don't think they need like some schedule boon to help them out or anything. But that does not help the Ravens in, in any way, shape, or form. And, and the Ravens have said, look, some things work out in your favor with the schedule. Some things don't. So that's one thing that definitely doesn't work out for them. Pittsburgh, in my opinion, people I hear people saying they're going to be a four-win team, a three-win team. I don't think that's it whatsoever. I think they're still talented. But mm-hmm. it, it is fair to question what Ben Roethlisberger is going to be able to do this year after the kind of collapse the Steelers did have in 2020 after a blistering start. The offensive line is a question mark right now. They lost a couple key defensive starters, added a few as well. I see them around 9-8, and 10-7. and seven. I think that's where I am with them. Still a good football team, but maybe in the, in the competition for a low wild card spot in the AFC. And then finally, Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati is interesting because – 
I'm honestly more concerned with their defense than I am their offensive line. The okay. offensive line is not great, definitely. They they upgraded. Look, Riley Reef is an upgrade from Bobby Hart 10 times out of 10 on that line. But Joe Burrow coming back from that injury, Jamar Chase has had some drop issues. I don't know if I'd feed too much into that early on. If it continues, then it starts to be like, oh, yeah, this is becoming an issue. But overall, I think that the Bengals are probably a, a five, six, maybe seven win team this year. But then, I mean, the next five, seven years, if, if all three quarterbacks can stay healthy, I think that the Ravens, the Browns, the Bengals all have the potential to make the playoffs with each other. Three AFC North teams in the playoffs for the next multitude of years, much like we saw with Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland the last year. So I have Baltimore and Cleveland finishing 13 and four each with Baltimore on top. I'll call Pittsburgh 10 and seven right now, and then I'll call Cincinnati five and 13. The 17 game schedules, I'm still getting used to it. So <laughs> those <laughs> records are a bit difficult, but that's where I am with the AFC North. I understand, Kevin. Last one. Let's bring it here local for me. Uh, looking from the outside, looking in on the Bears, what are your expectations for them this season and what they have done, and how would you bring along Justin Fields? Yeah, well, look, I th- well, first of all, I want to say the Justin Fields pick was phenomenal. My, my dad is a Vikings fan, and he was he was not happy when the Bears jumped up and, and, and made that selection because he knew what Justin Fields was going to be. My family's huge Ohio State fan, so I know what Justin Fields is going to be. Now, how, how would I bring him along? I mean, look, Justin Fields has shown it in the preseason. He has shown that he is the future for the Chicago Bears. But I know a lot of people have been giving Matt Nagy some feedback and not very good feedback about his decision to go out there and start Andy Dalton week one, which doesn't seem like it's changing, which I mean, look, it's fine to start, but I, I'm giving it a very short leash. I mean, if Andy, if, if we're talking week two and Andy Dalton is putting up even like mediocre numbers, I think you hand the, hand the keys over to Justin Fields. And that it's it's both a good and a bad situation because you don't want to throw Justin Fields into a fire where he is very inexperienced. He starts to struggle a bit, starts to get down on himself, and then something like that happens. But at the same time, one, Fields is a more talented player, so you're probably going to get better results. But two, having him learn in those game situations against good defenses isn't just going to help him in his rookie year. It's going to help him for 10, 15 years, which I think a lot of people are expecting him to stay in this league as a starter for that long. So I think overall the Bears did do some good stuff in the offseason. And obviously Allen Robinson returning is a very good piece of news for them. But in terms of fields, I think by the time the Ravens play the Bears, Justin Fields will definitely be the starter. And I'm excited to see what he can do against the Ravens defense. It's very talented because it's going to be a good matchup. We appreciate it, Kevin. Really good. Everybody, make sure you check that check out Locked On Ravens. I, I see on your timeline now that you're you're going with video too to go along with yes, the audio. Yep. <laughs> so everybody, make sure you check that out. Also check out Ravens Wire. Kevin, definitely appreciate it. And you have a good evening, man. Awesome. Thanks so much. This was awesome. Thank you.